Hello and welcome back to the Reality Bible Podcast. Before we get into today's episode featuring Rick Alexander, I want to take a second and mention a few things. The first being a moment of recognition for everybody who has been impacted by the shooting in Boulder this past week. Uh, it was very, very hard for me to see the news given that I grew up there and I set foot in that grocery store a thousand times between, you know, the time that I was a young infant to the time I left Colorado. And it was very, very sad for me to see what went on. So for anybody who has been impacted by this, I want you to know my thoughts and prayers are with you. I wish that I could offer a solution of some sort, but the most I can do at this point is to just be sensitive and be understanding of the pain that these incidents have caused. Another thing that I wanted to mention is that as we come into the close of March and the beginning of April, the Reality Bible has a new book of the month. This month, I chose How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera. Her Instagram, The Holistic Psychologist, is one of my favorite mental health resource accounts on Instagram. She has a great big following and she posts absolutely wonderful content. Once I saw she was releasing a book, I got very, very excited. And as soon as she released it, I had to pick myself up a copy. Given that the whole purpose of the book of the month is to kind of come together with a book as a community, I yesterday, if you haven't seen it, posted a giveaway on the Reality Bible Podcast Instagram. Go check it out if you haven't, and you can see how you can enter to win your own copy of the book. I will send it to you, and I would love to be able to share this with a couple of readers. So I'm giving three copies away. If you are interested at all in the giveaway, head to the Instagram and see how you can enter the giveaway and hopefully end up with a free copy of the book. And now for today's episode, as you may know... This past month, the book of the month has been Burn Your Couch by Rick Alexander. Rick Alexander is the host of the Morning Coffee podcast, available wherever you listen, and it is one of my favorite shows. I've listened to it for several years, and it's always just kind of been a very comforting and reliable show for when I'm kind of going through something or I need to, you know, sort something out in my head. And I can always count on, no matter what it is that I'm struggling with, I can always count on there being an episode of his show that can somehow help me. So when I picked out his book as March's book of the month, I reached out to him and he said that he would love to come on and chat with me for an episode. So without further ado, I'm going to get into the interview that I had with him this week. I hope you enjoy. And here it is. Well, I'm super honored that that you are coming on to chat with me for the show. Uh, remind me, are you a Marine veteran? Uh, I was in the Navy. Navy. Okay. I, I, I don't remember when I started listening to Morning Coffee. I mean, I heard it and I got hooked and that ended up being the start to my mornings driving on to base, you know, in the Air Force. And I would always, you know, hear your show in the morning and I was like, this is a nice way to start my day. Oh, you were in the Air Force? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just got cool. out in I I knew that. January uh, is when I started terminal leave. So... I'm officially out now. So how's that yeah. feel? So good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So good. Great. It was a great, I don't remember who I heard this from, but somebody said that enlisting was the greatest decision 
of their of their lives and getting out was the second greatest nailed it and uh, you know I, I think that's totally true so yeah. it was a great time I, I ended up being in for like four and a half years so very cool. short stint but you know went through enough things and experienced enough things and I was like okay you know I, I did that part mm-hmm. and now that chapter's and that's closed now totally what's what's your go-to story from being in the navy when when somebody asks what your time was like Really depends who I'm talking to. I don't, really? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was in for 12 and a half years, so I kind of like got to do a lot of different jobs and a lot of different things, you know? Yeah, um, yeah it kind of depends on the context, but gotcha. usually Africa stories, that was a really wild deployment. So those stories tend to be ones that people enjoy. Yeah, I bet. And so. what was your job when you were in the Navy? Um, I was a special operations combat medic. That's right. Okay. What I started doing this month when I brought the podcast back was the book of the month. And uh, basically, either an audience member suggests or I go out and I choose a a book to be kind of the subject matter for the month. And so I thought it was only fitting to choose one of your books, being you were the person who kind of helped kickstart my podcast for me. And uh so I finally got around to reading. I wanted to read Burn Your Couch, you know, since I listened to your show and heard you promote it when you first started writing and releasing it. And reading through it, I mean, the, the part that stuck out most to me was this whole section you had on purpose. Hmm. And I'm curious because for a lot of people, you know, this whole conversation around purpose has to be instigated by someone. Right. Somebody is the is the catalyst that kind of talks to you about this stream of thought. Was there something that it just arrived for you to have all of this kind of the way that you write it and the way that you are able to manifest it into the world? Is there a, a, a way that that happened or did it just kind of was a collective of what you've absorbed over the years? Yeah, I you know, there is. I was, I do a lot of self-reflection, if you can imagine. Um, I do a lot of journaling on like why I feel what I feel, what I'm experiencing. And I started to realize like I've lived a life that's like, you could really, you could really like identify the way that I've lived my life as like always in the polarities and in the extremes of different situations. And part of that is because I was craving those polarities. Like I, didn't want to go just in the military. It was like, no, I'm going to go into a special forces selection. And then once I get through there, then I'm going to go through the army special forces selection so I can, you know, go that direction. And like what I found is in all of these craving of experiences, um, I ran a couple 200 mile races. The thing that I realized is I had this like deep desire to find truth like to find truth you know people are always telling you something about the world and there was always a part of me that would like pick up on the hollowness of somebody's words i don't know if that makes sense but it's like you know growing up i come from a family with a lot of limiting beliefs about what's possible in the world what humans are capable of and i remember being told a few different stories but i remember one like there was a marathon going by and i remember my dad talking to me about how like unrealistic it is to run a marathon or something along those lines. But I just remember thinking like, but but someone's doing it. Yeah. And like, so is that the truth or is that your truth? And so 
anyway, it was in this search for truth, for something real about the world that I live in, this like real, just unyielding desire to know like what lies on the other side of all of these beliefs, all of these thought processes. And, and in that, that's when I started really starting trying to understand what, how is purpose coming, playing a role in all of this in my life? And um, I've evolved my thoughts a little bit since writing that book. I, I write about the desire for purpose in that book. One thing that I think is really worth understanding is I think a full life calls you to many different purposes throughout your life. Like you're, you know, sometimes your purpose, like right now you're transitioning out of the military. You just transitioned out. Like a huge part of your purpose is going to be maintaining a mental equilibrium and mental health as you're figuring out, okay, well then what, what is my purpose here? Right. And so you're Mm -hmm. kind of wearing multiple hats at any given time. Um, But yeah, it's just the way that, that, that word purpose shows up in, trying to figure out who am I really, what do I really want out of my life? Um, And I think inevitably you've just got to bring in, well, what's the purpose of my life? Like, what am I here for? What am I here for right now? Yeah. Right. I think that's something that I easily get overwhelmed thinking about that. I've, I mean, for, gosh, I've been in, so I was in for about four years. So for about four years, I was struggling with major anxiety and depression and that question of purpose was constantly just kind of like pounding at my brain like you know figure this out this is something you need to think about all the time and being out has helped me kind of calm down about that question and it's okay to still be like questioning it and have it as something that you're wondering about but it doesn't have to be something to stress about and reading through some of these sections of of the book was like oh that's right. Like that's, that's the articulation of what it is that I'm trying to manifest. And like, I just couldn't quite put it to words. And I feel like the way you described it, I mean, I'm sure that after, I mean, a 12 year career in the military, you've had plenty of opportunities where purpose was something that kind of tugged at you in different ways. And so I'm sure that after all that time, you ended up with, you know, a whole trove of these kind of thoughts and feelings that you were able to put down. And I think that's awesome the way that they were put out and burn your couch i loved it oh thank you i appreciate that um it's funny because that ability to ask that higher question is both a gift and a curse right like in one sense you look at you're looking at the world and you're like okay but what am i here for like what's the point of this like i'm not doing another damn thing until i know why i'm here and then at the same time the curse is well you don't get to know why you're here not really right? Like you have finite knowledge, you don't get ultimate knowledge. And so there's a huge gap that exists between whatever it is that you think and whatever it is that's real. And like, you have to accept that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Victor Frankl is a Holocaust survivor. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He, um, he sheds light on this. He, He says, you know, you can get really caught up in these existential questions of meaning, like, what is the meaning of all of this? And he's like, but actually, it's life that's asking you, And I think if you start to frame it that way, you start to realize, wow, it doesn't matter what situation I am in. There's some way that I can adopt responsibility and purpose for the position that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that lens will help if you are, if you do bend toward existential dread and like really walking around with the really heavy questions on your mind a lot, um, reversing the script and realizing 
Well, since that's unknowable to me in some sense anyway, what is it that life's asking me right now? Given this situation, maybe it's a shitstorm, maybe it's great, but whatever it is, like, what am I being asked to do here? How can I uh, raise the vibration of this whole place, you know? Right. I, I actually, the way that you said that, that finite knowledge, um, as I was combing back through some of the sections of this book again this morning, um, this section really, really spoke to me. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, hearing some of this, it'll, it'll come out for you too, because you're living in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this section reading this morning, uh, this section that was called fate isn't what you think it is. And talking about uh, kind of this tendency to analyze and analyze and analyze until you have this explanation for why something happened and why something is the way that it is. And the way that kind of humans have just done this to try and find meaning in something that you just can't always find meaning in. And I think, um, you know, the sayings, you know, everything happens for a reason or keep the faith and things will work out. Like that's, that's all fine and good until you run into a situation where that just doesn't cut it. Mm -hmm. And with the news happening from Boulder yesterday and obviously, you know, me being a Colorado you know, born and raised, not born, but, you know, raised in Colorado. And I mean, I should have gone into that grocery store a thousand times. And I mean, that feeling of like, what, what is the purpose of this? Like, why did this happen? You know, and not always being able to explain those tragedies and something like this, that is just so absolutely nuts. And during times of tragedy, we just want to know a reason why, like we try to just find answers. So for something like this shooting that just happened and trying to come up with some rhyme or reason for why it happened or like making sense of it yourself or processing what happened with, with all that being said of like how fate has turned into kind of an excuse to to explain away something that just can't be explained how is it when when you run into something that's very tragic or very difficult to process how is it that you go about that well i think um this is actually one place where i've evolved quite a bit since writing that book and Mm -hmm. part of that is i think that's the role of faith to some degree right faith bridges the gap between ultimate and finite knowledge essentially Mm -hmm. what it does it says um you know, because what we do is we cling to everything that we can see and know. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem because of this I, this finite knowledge, right? It's like you just can't see and know all of the factors involved here. And in fact, you, I mean, you do not know them. And so when you cling to your story as if it's the only story, now now you've got like the conditions for suffering, right? Because you're, right. you're not matched up with reality. So what faith is, is it's saying, well, okay, but there, faith is trust in the fact that there's a bigger picture unfolding than the picture that you are seeing right now. So part of that is just the acceptance of that. And you can have that or not have it, doesn't you know, make a difference to me, but, but to your own psychological wellness, it could help bridge that gap between what you know and what's real. Um, the other thing to think about too is, you know, our, the, one of the roles, I mean, our minds have two purposes, right? One is survival and the other one is meaning making. Mm-hmm. And that meaning making, fu- making function is always looking for why things happening is, are happening and it's adding a narrative to them. And, and so our world is in narrative, right? It's like, 
your entire world is probably a story that you're telling yourself about what the world is and you're living that world that story out in the world and so and so knowing that that's what our minds do when you find yourself in a situation like the one that you're talking about where the actual problem is so much bigger than you could imagine right like whatever's happening here with these tragedies with these shootings it's so complex you surely i mean we can all we can have conversations about gun rights we can have conversations about mental health but the reality is it's a labyrinth of things that are all interconnected and we're all complicit in it in some way um unfortunately but i think realizing that your mind it that's what it's doing it's trying to make meaning out of this trying to add a narrative to this and oftentimes what it's going to do because it can't understand the paradox that life actually is you know the ego can't attain life it it can't grasp it and know it really so what it does is it simplifies things in order to know them Mm -hmm. and that can be really unfortunate because what happens is you end up simplifying the problem you think that you've explained it and the truth is that you've simplified it you're not actually living in accordance with reality you're telling yourself a different story about what's happening Mm -hmm. and i think that when you're in the face of something like this that makes no sense you have to let it not make sense Mm -hmm. that's the hard part you know for us we want to And this is why we scapegoat. This is why we blame people. And this is why you'll look in all the conversations that are happening right now are about the person's ideology or identity or or gender or race. We're projecting all of our problems outward because we don't know how to sit with the not knowing of all of it. We don't know how to sit with the actual pain of it. And so we're just projecting the problem onto something else. And we're simplifying this labyrinth of issues, which is has gun control on one hand, has you know, has all these different things, has the mental health problem, which we don't understand at all in this country, mm-hmm. has all these things intertwined, behind, interwoven behind it. And we're simplifying it down to, to like identity. It's like, right. because that gives us something to fight over, right? The meaning making function of our brain is being satiated. Meanwhile, zero problems are being solved. And unfortunately, we actually have to sit in that tension of not knowing. And there's a cool psychological principle called the transcendent function and what that says is if you sit in that tension of opposites for long enough a symbol will come forward and it will show you the way out and so you'll accept paradox and then you get to move forward Mm. but what is a real stopper to most people's growth journey is that they get to a paradox they can't accept and so they'll simplify and they'll reject and they'll cling to something and that's you're seeing a lot of that right now yeah now, with all that being said, you know, that's that's a hell of a destination to arrive at. Um, you're you grew up in a very religious background, correct? Yeah. So was there kind of a difficulty in arriving to that mentality from the way you grew up? Um, what mentality? Like what I've just kind of been talking about? Yeah, being able or... to kind of accept the not knowing and accept that there is not necessarily going to be a reason that you can comprehend and, and kind of just leave it up to, to faith. And, you know, that's something that a lot of people either very much they're comfortable in that and that's all that they want to know. And then there's people that, you know, are more accepting of the not knowing and of the discomfort and being, you know, without an answer. Is that something that you had to kind of bring yourself to? 
Yeah, in some sense, I think I've been fighting out of that paper bag my entire life. Like, really? if anyone that's been raised really rigidly um, religious, uh, yeah, I think that there's some trauma that happens there that is probably beyond the scope of the show. But I think that, um, so it's interesting because I grow up with this really religious background. I joined the military early in the military, like one of my best friends in the world dies, my roommate. And so then I'm in this position um, where I can no longer lie to myself about accepting the religious axioms I'd been given, right? There's something about tragedy that will just like a blade, it will just cut through the bullshit in your life fast. And so then I'm like, I throw all of this away. Now I'm angry because the world has given me tragedy. The tools I'd been given to use, I can't use anymore. Like they're not, I just can't lie to myself about them. Right. And so now I like walk into the world sort of godless, faithless, just on my own, right? Angry yeah. as hell. And, on, and so, but there's a part of me that's really deeply spiritual. Now, what's really interesting is for 10 years, I'm like living almost solely in my intellect, just trying to, um, using that meaning making function to be like, and, and unfortunately, when you live solely in that place, everything's great or stupid. And you'll find yourself, you're like judging everything you have to, because that's what the meaning making function is. It's yes. like, I know what this is, it's good or bad. That way I can say, I understand it, simplify it. Because it's always all things, right? And so people even aren't good or bad. They just are. And they're going to lean into different parts of themselves. But when you're living all in the intellect, it's like, you know, you're just going through the world like that person's good, that person's bad. Um, and, you know, I got to a point, though, like the parts of yourself that you push down. So because I didn't have an outlet for that spiritual, the spiritual part of myself, I just shoved it back inside. You just repress it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the neuroses that the modern person is struggling with, it, they are struggling with because there's some part of themselves that they've learned to repress, to deny, to not accept. Mm -hmm. And it's coming back out because you don't get to control. Like you're everything. And so if you push parts of yourself back down, they're just going to come out a different way and you're not going to get to know how they are. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really encapsulated in what's called the shadow yes. of the personality. Yeah. So... I was noticing in my own life that I was getting caught in my own shadow all the time. Like I couldn't, contentment was just so far from me. Um, and so it was really like realizing, man, I have to go back into this faith journey and I've got to like go back in head first and I've got to like get some objectivity and like really look at all the narratives I'd been held given the doctrines I'd been given and like really look at them separate from myself and be like, well, what do I think about this? And in doing that, it's been a really painful experience, but in doing that, I've actually gotten to rescue who I actually am and who I am is like deeply, deeply in love with mystery. Like, I just love it. Um, I, I think the, the, the fact that we are at all, is just an incredible, um, just an incredible notion worth like thinking about. And so in or in for me going back into that like religious background, I think it gave me the freedom to start exploring the world in a way that actually resonated with me. Hmm. You know, I think life is gonna keep showing you all kinds of situations, it's gonna keep giving you all kinds of situations and people to show you where you're not free. Mm -hmm. And we tend to reject those 
um, instead of learn from them. And so that's like a really long-winded way of saying, yeah, I struggled deep in that religion at first um, with a religious background. And then once I realized that it was showing me something that I needed to learn about myself and I was finally able to accept that, that's when it started to open up more for me. Yeah. I think something you just said uh, made me think of kind of the expression like, oh, everything happens for a reason has, you know, become a very cheapened way of saying like you will encounter things in your life for a purpose there's a reason that you encounter certain people you know you go through a very painful breakup you lose a job you you know fail something that you were trying and you come across these things to learn and you know to show you where you are not free and to show you where you still have work to do and so I think a lot of people get frustrated when someone says, oh, everything happens for a reason. You know, well, not always is that just what they mean. You know, they mm -hmm. don't necessarily know how to articulate exactly what it is that you just said. And so that's something that, because I'm one of those people, I like to think, you know, things happen for a reason. That's, you know, kind of, I kind of like you, I'm, I'm fond of that mystery and like the, the deeper meaning behind just about everything. And, you know, if nothing else, it's just kind of fun to contemplate. Except when you have people that are frustrated by hearing everything happens for a reason and having that just be the end of it. Now you get people who are cynical about hearing that kind of expression. And so without something more significant, I suppose, um, you know, it, it feels cheap and it feels mm -hmm. less than caring. And so I think that, you know, going through some of that work and, and thinking about, well, it's not just everything happens for a reason, move on. It's more about, okay, learn the reason and contemplate it and, and sit with it. And now you begin to learn something and now you're at a place where you can actually grow from it. Yeah, that's really well said. I When I was writing that book, I asked, I don't even know how many of you, every single person I met, whether I knew them or not, I would ask them, do you think everything happens for a reason? And then whenever they would say, then I would like poke at it, you know, I'd be yeah. like, okay, and then how about this situation, you know, and yeah. then like, oh. but actually, I wasn't trying to be malicious. I was just trying to figure out like, do people believe the platitudes that they're saying? Or is this right. just a bunch of like frill that we put in front of ourselves in order to not face real stuff. Yeah. Um, but in my second book, which I kind of closed a lot of the loops I was talking about in Burn Your Couch in my second book. Um, but I talk about this idea of like asking the question, why is this happening for me and not to me? And there's something really interesting about that because it sounds like personal development drivel bullshit when you say it. Um, until you realize that that's actually like the hardest disposition you could possibly take toward your problems because what that requires is that you stay with the problem and then you ask yourself okay so if i am to assume that this is happening for me now i've got the responsibility of like really grappling with what that reason is mm -hmm. and then once i do that well now i know where i need to put my work you know now i know this is where i need to work in this situation to move through it um and so it's not really about like a lot of people i think just use that for that kind of a saying for like rose colored glasses to just like put a positive spin on the problem. Right. And it, I think it's actually much deeper than that. You know, it's actually looking the pain in the face and being like, 
I'm here for answers. Like I'm not leaving until I get the answers. And I think um, if you, I mean, I'm sure there are situations in life where the logic breaks down because it's kind of illogical at points. But I think if you really sit with a problem and you ask yourself that question, you will find an answer eventually. And then that answer is your invitation out. You know, we are always, we always say, when you're going through hell, just keep going. And it's like, maybe, or maybe look around, figure out what got you there so that you don't hit the roundabout on your way out and end up back in the same place in two years. And so I think what that question is asking you is, okay, this is showing me something. I'm, I'm here in hell. Why? And then when you figure out how you've contributed to the problems and how you can contribute to getting out, like this, you can start to like, you know, you can start to, you don't have to be a victim to your life necessarily. You can actually like kind of dance with it and you can kind of pull wisdom out of the pain and you can pull lessons out of the, out of the moments of hell. And I think you, I think there's a tendency when I talk like that, if I say like, why is this happening for me instead of to me, you know, a cynical person, I've had this conversation with a cynical person who's like, you can't really, you can't prove that this is all happening for you. And I was like, of course not. Of course you can't, but it is going to happen to you either way. Right. And so you are going to, it is going to happen, like life is going to happen to you. And so um, because you're going to go through difficulty and there's nothing you can do to get out of that difficulty and because you're going to die and there's nothing you can do to get out of that death, I think it's worth asking ourselves, well, is there a good way to handle it? Like, is there a good disposition, a good way to wrestle with it? And I think right. if we, yeah. And so I think really asking ourselves those questions about why things are happening and why fate's unfolding the way it is, it gives us agency over the only damn thing we have agency over, which is ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I remember seeing something somewhere uh, along the lines of pain and difficulty is, is not optional, but suffering is something that you can choose. And you know, I, th I think that there's there's cynical people who hear it and they roll their eyes and they get irritated and, you know, maybe it's a little bit like me stirring shit, but I think that the people who are cynical about hearing something like that are the ones that needed to hear it the most. And it's something where, you know, okay, th this this poked something in you. Why? Like, why is this difficult for you to sit with? Is there something mm. uncomfortable there? And that was something that, you know, I feel like once you hear it and it resonates with you, that's a, a very convenient way to be alerted to something that you need to work on. And, and I can't tell you how many either episodes or moments from episodes of your own show that gave me those moments where I was like, oh shit. And I remember not knowing about inner child work until I think it was Dr. Katie Pate that you had on your show. And I listened to that episode probably a few times mm. and she talked all about inner child work. And I was like, I need to study this and learn it. And once I kind of was able to pull it apart, I recognized, I was like, oh, this is a place where I can actually do some work. and. This is something I, I just never even thought of. And so once upon a time, I would have heard that and been like, "Ugh, that's unnecessary. I don't I don't need to hear that. that. I don't need that noise because I was avoiding that and there was some pain there. And so I think that as soon as you 
put these ideas out and you have the cynical people. Some people genuinely have those beliefs that are different from yours, but then there's people who are just arguing because they don't want to accept the point that you've made. And a lot of times it's because they need to defend themselves against that point for whatever reason. Mm. So I, you know, I, I love that there's, there's these kinds of trains of thought that you you'll have and you put out there that some people will want to argue for argument's sake. And when they sit with the argument, maybe they learn something from it. So I, I always thought that that was just something fascinating about the content that you've provided in the world. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, like, if you would have brought inner child work to me three years ago, I'd have been like, dude, what are you? Get out of here. We're really? not doing this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And also, my natural, like, disposition, I think, is a bent towards cynicism. I think I've just, you know, I've seen, like, a really brutal world. Um, and so I have so much sympathy. You know, I one of the things that I believe that I think we really get wrong in religious <laughs> A thought process is that we're punished by our sins, not for our sins, right? And so the way that you might think about that is like, if you have a low level of consciousness, right? So you're like in division all the time and you're like divisive with other people, that's its own punishment because you're in hell, right? Like you put yourself there. And the thing, I think it's the same thing um, when we're not open to, not that you have to be open to all the things I'm open to, but when you're not open to something that could provide a path to healing for you, like you're being punished by your sins, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're missing the mark, which is kind of one of the original meanings of sin. It was an archer term and it meant miss the, to miss the mark. So you're missing the mark in your life and you're being punished by that. And so I think if you find yourself up against these arguments and, or up against these theories and your first thing is to argue with them, like just to defend them without giving them like proper credit without really like grappling with them. Like, is this true? What would it mean if I lived by this? You know, asking yourself the real questions about how to, how to wrestle with a new idea. I would just say, ask yourself if you're actually happy, like be really, really honest with yourself. Like, is this way of living working for you? All things being equal. If you could have anything, if, if the cynical reality that you're so clung to right now, if, if it were able to go away and you got a blank canvas completely, would you still cling to this? You know, and then start asking yourself those tough questions. I, I think it's not necessarily about accepting, you know, thought processes that I like will put forward, but it, it is about asking your, yourself the really tough questions about what you're doing here Definitely. and whether the way that you're doing it is working for you because you might find that you're punishing yourself. Yeah, Definitely. You're, you're a very smart person, I, I have to say. Like, I, there are some people that I feel like they're just gifted with this way of either thinking about the world or communicating about the world. And it's just, it's a very unique trait among people. And I know a very small handful of people that have that. And I feel like you've got to be one of them. You're just one of these people. And the way that your mind works about the world, it's, I truly do admire it, truly. I appreciate that. Um, it, I think I have a high verbal intelligence. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, trait openness is pretty high. So it, yeah, it comes with that. So one thing I think that's worth just for listeners, like something worth considering if you hear a new idea and some part of you feels resistant to it, but then there's another deeper part that like subtly feels like, you know, maybe 
for example, if you have a visceral reaction to something, like get that out of my face, it's like, okay, inspect that. Like, is there something deeper than that? But if you feel this subtle feeling intimation that like maybe there is something to that that I can't see, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got with like learning to assimilate new ideas is to live and act as if it is true for like two weeks. And if not, you get to go back to your life, how you're doing things. It's like, that's it. Um, and so doing that with some of these concepts has been really, really important to me. So like the, um, why is this happening for me instead of to me? I was like, okay, for the next month, I'm going to live as if this is true. And so whenever I come up against resistance, I'm going to ask myself that question. Um, and I have some great stories about it, but it, it really like forced me to wrestle with it. And then I was like, okay, like I, I'll adopt this. This is something that does work for me. And so um, rather than thinking that you can just know whether something works with your intellect, like actually live into these things in your life and see if they can actually cause some sort of internal shift, I would mm -hmm. say. What's, you say you have some stories, what's one of them that might be your favorite? Um, okay, so my first, this is a good, yeah. Okay, so my first 200 mile run was in the mountains and it was in the Lake Tahoe area. So okay. between six and 10,000 feet. And I lived in Virginia Beach and I was in the military, so I couldn't leave on the weekends to go train. And the highest hill I had was 60 feet um, off sea level, like not even 100. <laughs> and so um, what I would do is I would set my watch for like, I started at two hours, I got up to eight, but I would set my watch and I would just go up and down this hill for two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours. Um, and that's how I got my really long hill days in training for this thing. So then I go to Lake Tahoe, I'm doing the event and like 70 or 80 miles in, I start to like cough up blood a little bit, like start to spit up blood. And I was like, oh no, like, I started to get high altitude pulmonary edema is what I started getting. And I've, I'm a medic. Like I had treated this before I've treated hate before. Um, and so then it started getting bad. Like I could like, I was like gurgling when I was talking through so much liquid in my lungs and um, actually four people got pulled from the race for that very reason. So I knew like, if I, if I go talk to any of like the, you know, aid station workers or medical personnel, they're going to pull pulled. me there. Yeah. There's no way they're going to let me finish but I'm only 80 miles into this thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna stop. So I get to mile 89. And at this point, like I'm spitting up blood, like constantly, I can't run at all because I feels like someone's sitting on my lungs, like just compressing them. And I pull this thing I had in my pocket, this little thing I wrote down, why is this happening for me and not to me? And I was so like just fucking angry. Like I'm looking at this and I'm just like, you know, that rage of like, there's, I don't know why this is, I'm just pissed, you know? Um, but it, that's the thing that these kind of things do is they force you into that really uncomfortable place. And then I was like, I sat down and I'm like pretty downtrodden because really like I can barely run at all. I'm like, it's a kind of a walk. I'm like walking, jogging, whatever. Well, I'm sit down and I'm like, okay, there has to be a reason this is happening for me. There must be. And in that moment, it hit me that in every race I do, I come out really way too hard. And then I end up surviving the end. So every time I'd run a hundred miler, I'd run the first 60 miles way too fast. And the last 40, I'd barely like survive, you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, if I do that in a 200 miler, there's no way I'll finish. Like, it's just too long. And I was like, so maybe this is happening for me. Cause I just ran a fast 80 miles. And I was like, 
maybe this is happening for me. Like at this pace, like I can definitely make it 200 miles. So I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I thought um, I had been training nasal breathing only. So I was like, I wonder if I switched to nasal breathing, if that would help. And sure enough, it did. And so all of a sudden I'm in this position where I can only run as fast as I can nasal breathe. But I had been training this for months as a mental toughness technique, had nothing to do with altitude. Mm -hmm. But I realized in this moment that my training cycle, the race that I was in, it all conspired to put me in a perfect position to finish this 200 miler. The only thing I had to do is accept the pain, right? Because there's a good amount of pain in that. And then I realized, okay, well, I can manage this because if I'm above 7,000 feet, it would kind of start to fill up my lungs. But if I go below 7,000 feet, I could breathe. So it's like, okay, so I looked at all the aid stations on the map I couldn't stop at. It's like, okay, so now I got that. So I can minimize my time above 7,000 feet. I was like, and so I did. I, I like changed my whole game plan on the fly and realized, man, if I would have gotten my original thing, which is nothing goes wrong and I just feel fine. I'd have run a hundred miles and just blown up all the hell. I guarantee it. Wow. But I, so in that moment, I was like, all of this is like really conspiring to get me to the end of this race. Like that's an incredible feeling. And one that is like really valuable if you're in the moment of like really hard times. Yeah. Now I, I've always just kind of been fascinated by the stories you tell about ultra marathons because I cannot imagine ever, <laughs> let alone like running, I don't know, more than 10 miles even. And, you know, I, I don't even like to run. And so now you get up to like 200 miles. I can't imagine a scenario that is more relevant to burnout than an ultra marathon. And even in situations where you're not necessarily physically restrained but you are just feeling burnt out there's you know there there's a method where you either slow down and you continue more periodically and then there's there's the time where you just want to quit when you're at those moments whether it was in an ultra marathon or whether it was in the middle of writing one of your books or whatever you know endeavor that you're into at the moment when you encounter that burnout what is that like for you mm. You know, for a long time in my life, it was like I, I lived by hustle culture. It's like, doesn't matter. Put the throttle down, get through it, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like what's happening if you're burning out is that your body's sending you a message that something needs to change. And so if you don't change that thing, it's going to manifest later. It's like just like the parts of your personality. You don't get to repress them. It's, it's happening for a reason. And so it's just going to show up later. Maybe it's physical illness or something like that. And so um, I think it, there was a time in life where I was really just throttled through. I think a relevant question to ask yourself is like, does your body get a seat at the table? Like, does your body get something? Like, you know, we, we think about when we're like doing things in life, we think about the achievement. And so the only things that get a seat at the table when we're trying to figure out how to proceed are the things that get us to the achievement. And it's like, so just giving your mental health a seat at the table, giving your body a seat at the table, realizing these aren't things, if you use these, like they're things to just consume and throw away, then that's how they're going to be. And then you're going to live in a body that is trashed, you know, because you, you've made it trash. Like yeah. psychologically, your, your disposition toward it is trash. And so actually like giving all of these parts of you a seat at the table it's like the most important thing that you can do because the truth is if you're feeling these signs of something it, you have to re something's got to be reconfigured you know there are activities in life where you do them 
and then they like literally inspire you. And I mean like breathe life back into you, no matter how much effort you give, they just keep, you just feel more and more fulfilled. Right. So perhaps you're feeling burnout because you don't have anything that inspires you or you're not doing enough that inspires you, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not, it might not be that you have to stop necessarily and just do nothing and go on bed rest, Mm -hmm. but something is coming up. And so giving it a seat at the table to try to dialogue with these parts of yourself, like what is coming up for me um, can be really, really beneficial. And so, yeah, I would say with burnout or, or anything, anything that you're getting a message from, from some part of yourself. And so giving that message, like it's a proper uh, hearing would be really important. I love that. I love that because I, you know, mental health has been something that's been important to me my entire life, not necessarily knowing it until I was an adult and being in the military and being fortunate enough to have mental health, mental health care provided to you you know, in a world where you don't have to worry about affording your health care and being able to fit it into your copay, like, you know, you don't have to mess with any of that. You just mm-hmm. go and you show up and you talk to somebody. And once that became a reality for me, that was something I recognized. I was like, oh, this, you know, I, I need to be able to acknowledge this. And I recognized a lot of points in my life, relationships with people, romantic or otherwise, where it wasn't a welcome topic. It wasn't something that we could just have a conversation about. And I think by the time I got myself into therapy and working through a lot of these things, it became something that I was, you know, that was one of my my must-haves in in relationships with people was we have to be able to, to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, if, if we can't, then there is a limit to where our relationship exists. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized in, in bringing, I took, a, I took about probably like four months where I wasn't recording anything for the podcast. It wasn't something that I was really working on. And, you know, once I transitioned out a little bit and had a few weeks where I was, you know, a civilian and getting into this, this new chapter where I was like, okay, let's start it back up. I have the time, I have the energy. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, what is it going to be? You know, what's what's my focus going to be? And I realized, I was like, mental health is what I want most people to be able to have at the table. Mm. You know, in my opinion, not enough people talk about it and are just open with it and comfortable with it. It's this, it's still this thing that is kind of reserved for you and, and a therapist, which is more and more acceptable nowadays. But why does it have to be that limited? You know, it's it's something that you should always be able to acknowledge, not just once a week for a couple of hours. And so, you know, I, I love I love that giving it some spot at the table and giving it the energy that it deserves every part of you. You know, I think I think that's exactly exactly the concept that, that I've been trying to to harness. So that's really awesome. I love that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think just getting curious about it can be yeah. really beneficial. Because first of all, like even assuming that mental health, like we call it mental health problems, like you're a finite creature that knows they're going to die in a brutal world where anything can kill you at any moment. Like to tell, to say that like you should be fine all the time is an absurd idea. And so, but we treat them like, oh, it's a problem if if your mental state isn't in a good place. And it's like, 
is it? Or is it just a part of life that you've got to work through? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that, that I really, I really hate the conversations in this country that we have around mental health. I think it's Agreed. absurd. Um, I don't think we need more mental health awareness. I think we need to reframe what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so treating these things like they're a problem, it's like, well, I don't know. You know, if it's a problem, maybe it's an invitation, right? Maybe these things are inviting you into different aspects of your life that you keep ignoring. And so the problem keeps persisting. Um, I don't know. I, again, I think just getting curious about it can really start to open up the aperture of what, what you're even dealing with here. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that, you know, things in Colorado are, are good for you and Danielle and, and that you make it through this kind of challenging time and in, in that state for, you know, hopefully what isn't too long. And yeah, totally. hopefully we move forward from that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for having again. me. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, I'm, I'm truly happy that I had the opportunity to chat with you. It's been awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rick Alexander. Again, make sure you check out his podcast, The Morning Coffee Podcast, available wherever you listen. Burn Your Couch was a fantastic read, and I absolutely recommend it, as well as his second book, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache. So if you're interested in more detail, you can find him at rickalexander underscore on Instagram. And as always, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to spend with me. And I hope you got something valuable out of the podcast. And I can't wait to talk to you next week.